0: you so much uh, for joining us on Ubuntu Radio, South Africa's public diplomacy in action. My name is Thari Munjezi. On Ubuntu Radio, ZA, on Twitter, and also on uh, Facebook. A wide-ranging interview, that's what we call it. And uh, in studio, we have uh, Professor Clady. Professor Clady is with the University of Pretoria, but a, a South African, but a global citizen as well, because one of his work that he does on international law, it's um, with the um, International Law Commission as well, recently elected chair. Thank That's you so correct. much for joining us here on Ubuntu Radio. Thank you, and thank you very much for having me. <laughs> ILC as we, we, we have it, its mandate and also its composition. So Three questions. So um, it's
1: the mandate of the ILC is, um, according to its statute, is progressive development of international law and its codification. Uh, so these are two different things. Mm. Uh, codification means um the systematization of rules of international law that might be found in different places so so basically what we do is we look at the at state practice and we try to identify to what extent the state practice constitute law that might not be written down and then in simple terms we then write down this law into a document um in different forms, be it draft articles which become treaties, or something that we call draft conclusions and draft principles. So that's the the one element where we we're basically drafting law as we see it. We are saying, as we see um, um, international relations and how states interact, these are the rules that govern. Um, the interaction between states. Um, the other um, mandate, the progressive development, is where we think there are gaps in law. Okay. So certain things are not regulated by law, or they are not regulated appropriately by law. We sort of try to fill in those gaps by progressively developing the law. So making recommendations to states about what law might look like. Um, so, we, so for example, um, we might say. Um, that as far as uh, crimes against humanity is concerned, hmm. we think that there ought to be a duty on states to prosecute uh, crimes against humanity wherever they may okay. happen, even if there isn't such a duty in law. So so in that instance, we are recommending to states that they adopt such a duty. So these are, the, are our two main things. So hmm. one is codification, the other one is progressive development. So that's as far as mandate is concerned. Um, the other question you asked then was on composition, yeah. uh, how we are composed. Um The International Law Commission is composed of 34 experts in international law. Um, and the composition is determined by um, uh, by um, geographical um, sort of representation. So there's a, a set number of states from the Africa group. A se- sorry, um, a set number of m- members from the Africa group, mm. a set number of members from Western Europe and others group, a set number of members from Latin America and the Caribbean, a set number of members from Asia, and so on and so on. So that's broadly the composition. But, of course, like with most things, even if there are 34 members, not all 34 are active. So what you find is that, on average, there's always about 22 members that are constantly engaged and that really make up the International Law Commission. Why is that? Uh, Well, I mean, for different reasons. Um, Mm. Some people are just simply too busy. Um, Some people don't have the confidence to engage. Uh, I mean, I think the... in that respect, the ILC is a kind of a microcosm of society. It's it's like that in any group, right? So if you have a group of ten people, you find that um, the group is normally led by about six
0: people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not. So that's not a surprise. Uh, and you have been with the commission for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. How did you get to be? What did South Africa nominated you? Right. So I I was nominated by South
1: Africa. Um, so, so I've been a member of the commission since 2012. Yeah. Um, uh, and and this year is my last year uh, and i was nominated by south africa in 2010 okay. and the elections were held in november of 2011 and and i and i and i was elected um the term is a 5 year term so it ran out in 2016 yeah. i was renominated yes, yeah. and i was reelected again uh, for another 5 year term so as you know um in 2020 we didn't have a session because of covid yeah um, so the General Assembly gave us uh, an extension by a year so that we can complete uh, our term. Because the thing is, unlike many bodies, um, the term of ILC members runs concurrently. So when it ends, everybody's term ends. Mm-hmm. So everybody's seat is up for re-election. And and so there's a, essentially a new commission, if you like, or at least a new composition of a commission yeah. um, each year. Um, there's a third question. That you. Oh, yes, you asked me about the relationship between the Commission and, and the General Assembly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, General Assemb- the, um, the UN Charter provides that uh, the General Assembly has a responsibility for progressive development and codification of international law. Mm. Uh, but clearly that's not something that the General Assembly can do because uh, codification and progressive development requires that you study practice of states, treaties, and you know the General Assembly can't study Mm. So in 1946, um, the General Assembly set up a committee to sort of see how how it could achieve this mandate. Mm. And the committee basically recommended that a subsidiary organ of the General Assembly be established, which would conduct this function on behalf of the General Assembly and report mm-hmm. to the General Assembly. So mm. we're a subsidiary organ of the General Assembly. We do our work on behalf of the General Assembly and report to the General Assembly, but we're independent. So mm-hmm. we're we're subsidiary, but we're independent. Um, we receive comments from the General Assembly all mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately, um, we we do our work on our own. Um.
0: Like like any commission, uh, Professor, is that there will be contestations in terms of uh, is the law? I mean, that's 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 yeah. the terrain um, with the composition. I mean, we're looking at wherever you find UN structures, there's always going to be contestations, one of ideas, but also of certain agendas as well. How are decisions made? How do we then make sure that um, that agreement is reached? So you're right. Like with anybody,
1: uh, with any commission, with any organ, uh, international organ, there are differences of views, and those differences of views are... You know, we're all influenced by our backgrounds. So so within the commission, you've got... I mean, you've got uh, some members from the commission from from the United States, a member from the United Kingdom, from South Africa, from from Portugal, from from Turkey, from China, from Russia. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously, all of those individuals are going to have very different views. And there's very often heated debates, heated exchanges, very, very strong disagreements. We try as a commission... um, to reach agreement on everything by consensus which is which is extremely difficult yeah but in the 10 years that I've been a member of the commission in the 10 11 years I mean it's, it's sort of hard to count with this yeah so in about yeah so in the 10 11 years that I've been a member of the commission we've only ever voted on one decision okay. or at least one substantive issue we voted on other procedural issues mm. but when it comes to substance we voted on only one issue it was um. Um, of course it had to do with immunity which is a a very sensitive topic yeah Uh, but that's the only time that we've ever so we strive for consensus which means that uh, our work is by definition very deliberate or deliberative and we take time before we reach decisions so we try to convince each other we 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 are we take pride in the fact that we're supposed to be experts and so as experts the idea is we should try to convince each other and not necessarily just use numbers. Of course, numbers are important at some point, but, but, but it's important Enhancing your up. argument, basically. Yes, mm. yes. So, so we listen to each other, respond to each other's arguments, mm. um, and at the end, then, we, we very often do find, do find agreement. I mean, sometimes we have um, we do have members that are sometimes very unhappy with the outcomes. Mm. Uh, but I think the fact that we're able to avoid voting is itself a How aside. often does
0: the whole voting happen then? Hardly.
1: Yes, as I said, in the, in, the, um, in the time that I've been on the commission, uh, we voted only once. And we've adopted, I mean, I can count how many instruments we've adopted. Uh, we've adopted um, seven treaty texts. Mm. And on those texts, the only vote was on one provision of one instrument. Mm. So one pro- So if, if, I, if I am able to thumbsuck a number... I would say we've had more than 120 provisions, articles, draft conclusions, draft guidelines, whatever, and we've only voted on one of them. Um, so I think that's a signifier of how uh, of how hard we work to try mm. to make sure that we arrive at mm. consensus. Because,
0: mm. um, uh, Prof, I want to tease out on this issue of immunity that, w- that went to a vote. What year was this? So this was in 2017. Because I'm trying to... Uh, uh, Think what was the
1: issue of contestation then? I think the easiest way to explain it is maybe just to put it in the context of the whole topic, and then I'll so I'll come down to that particular issue. Okay. The topic that the commission is working on um, uh, relating to immunity is called um, immunity of foreign officials okay. from criminal jurisdiction. Diplomat. Um, so 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 not not diplomats because diplomats are covered by by another treaty so there's different types of immunity yeah right you've got immunity of diplomats which are covered by the vienna Vienna convention on on diplomatic relations you've got immunity um, of consular officials uh so this is basically the topic that we're dealing with is basically that residual immunity of officials that's not covered by any other treaty it's governed only by custom international law, so we're really trying to, to to sort of codify the rules of custom
0: international law. There's just a couple of issues that I just want to, in terms of understanding the work of the Commission, because I also want to understand... What is there for you? Why did you feel that um, you know you, you are working with a number of uh, this is on your academic side now? Mm-hmm. PhD <coughs> student, you are supervising PhD student. You are a full time academic. Uh, there's a lot of work that you are doing, but then the work of the commission as well. You know the bulk of the work that is required there as well. But in terms of the mechanism, I see there's an Africa group you talk about in terms of uh, you know uh, uh, members from the African continent. You said, mm-hmm. do, do you always have to have maybe common interests on meetings, and African groups say maybe we need to look at this because maybe this particular issue affects mostly our African uh, brothers and sisters.
1: We should, but we don't, to yeah. be honest. I mean, we meet, uh, but it's mainly for social things okay. and also for for things like how we organise ourselves in okay. terms of positions within the commission. Uh, like, for example. Uh, I mean, my election as chair. Mm. You know, I was nominated by the Africa Group. So, so those kinds of things. But on substance, okay. we don't really meet that often. Some okay. groups do talk. I mean, there are okay. uh, to detail. Yeah, they they do meet on substance, and it's, but it's it's often not by re- regional groups. It's often on the basis of interest. So, okay. so uh, you know, I have a, some colleagues within the Commission that I normally talk. And substance too, and we try we try to um, arrive at common positions as far as a small group is concerned but for yeah. example um, you know it's made up of uh, two members from the Africa group two members from weorg and uh, and another member from Latin America for example so mm. so it's not based on these regional groups but it's, it's based mainly on interest and I'm I have no doubt in my mind that um, the American member and the British member meet all the time
0: have, <laughs> by you know, close proximity of their that's, own interests. That's, that's quite clear. <laughs> that prof, let's talk about interest now. Are you representing South African interests? Do do they do champion South African constitution to say if for develop international law, I need to look at what we have in South Africa because South Africans uh, got South African vote got me here. Uh, so, so the the easy answer to that is no. Um, okay, and and the reason for that is uh, the
1: statute of the commission makes clear that. Uh, members of the commission are to serve in their independent expert uh, capacity. So yeah. that's the the easy answer. Mm-hmm. Um, the more complicated answer is is that well, on the one hand, the reason why you're having a diverse number of persons on the commission, mm. is also to make sure that the state practice from which we pull mm. is diverse. So obviously the practice that I will know the most will be South African practice, so Absolutely. that means that South African practice will influence. Um, it also you. M- allows me to sort of pull from um, the practice of um, uh, our sister countries on the continent and um, on the subcontinent. It gets a little more interesting when you think, you know, I always tell my students that we're in fact, I think I mentioned it here. We're all influenced by our background. So in a mm. sense, my understanding of international law and how international law is supposed to work, uh, my policy positions and propositions are influenced by the fact that I come from South Africa, influenced by the fact that I studied in South Africa, are influenced in part also by the fact that I worked for this department for a very long time. Absolutely. So obviously my policy disposition is likely going to be consistent with South Africa's. Mm. But it's not because I feel the obligation to represent South Africa. Just, but in the time that I've worked for the commission, there's been times when I've taken positions that have been very different from from our own, uh, um, so from the government's own. What's interesting is that was even the case even when I worked for for the foreign ministry yes. and I worked for, for the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor. There were times when I took a position that was, when I, in my... Individual capacity took a position that was different from that of of the government, and then I had to sort of say, you know, because I was also responsible for the file in the office. I would say, you know, when it comes to this, somebody else must handle it because here's a position that I've taken, and I'm aware that it's different from from mm. from 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 the position that that uh, the government has. What is interesting is is that um, this was not always the case. I mean, there was, there's been times when a Russian member, not the current Russian member, but the previous mm. Russian member. Who had served with um, would would say very clearly that he wouldn't accept a position because it would not be acceptable to Russia, which which is which, which is crazy in a sense because mm, it it mm. goes completely against the statute. Um, but yeah, so I think in a sense the answer is yes or no. I mean, in 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 theory, absolutely not. There's not supposed to be any kind of influence, yeah, but yeah. but indirectly there is, and I think there should be. Um, so indirectly there should be. But it shouldn't be because I'm taking instructions or I'm obliged to, yeah. but the influence is important. The fact that I'm influenced by my background is important, and I think that's why the statute requires that, that um, members of the commission come from uh, diverse backgrounds, mm. uh, um, different regions, and so on.
0: In conversation with uh, Professor Tladi, he's the current chair of uh, the International Law Commission, speaking to us, a South African um, born and bred, and um, an academic at the University of uh, Pretoria here in uh, the uh, capital. We want to also look at, uh, you congratulate your previous chair, um, Mahmoud, and th- thanking him for his stellar work under uh, difficult circumstances. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So Mahmoud Khmoud, who's um, actually the Jordanian ambassador
1: to uh, to uh, the United Nations in New York, uh, mm. was the chair of the commission last year. Mm. Uh, difficult conditions in the sense that um, you will recall we didn't meet in 2020 because of COVID. Mm. And, um, a- and we were adamant as a commission that we could not do our work mm. virtually. Okay. Um, in 2021, we had extensive discussions with the United Nations in Geneva, but also with the Swiss authorities to sort of see how we could arrange to meet um, at least in a hybrid format mm. in Geneva. Um, so the organization leading up to the session was like none other we have had before. I mean, in the past, the Bureau, uh, so which is the chair, the vice chair and other office holders, would literally be elected on the first day of the commission and that would be the first time that we would meet. But last year, we were meeting literally every year trying to sort of plan how we're going to do this and things would change. COVID numbers would suddenly go up and we weren't sure. Lockdown. So So it was that kind of management um, Mm. that that I had to thank him for and I think that he led us pretty well in that time, particularly because he wasn't even officially the chair at the time. Mm. Uh, He was an incoming chair. Okay. Um, so, but it also started a, a practice, which I think is a good practice, mm. which we continued this year, where the incoming bureau. So, I was part of the incoming bureau. Yeah. Um, um, I was the incoming chair. Would start planning for the commission way ahead of time. Which, you know, it's good. so we had to do it last year because of COVID. Yeah, uh,
0: and this year we just continued the practice, which I think is a good practice. Mm. The International Law Commission really look at um, the various articles, but I want to look at. Articles on state responsibility and and their binding nature as well. This issue of legally binding, you know, um, has been contested f- for a number of uh, cases as well. Why is this legally binding issues so contested? So I'm glad you framed the question in the context of
1: the articles on state responsibility because it allows us to uh, to uh, look at. The question of legally binding and not legally binding from different perspectives. So, Mm. so first of all, the law on state responsibility Mm. um, is about uh, what happens when a state breaches an obligation that is owed under international law. So, so we assume that there is a legally binding obligation. Mm. The state breaches that obligation. Mm. What are the consequences of that? That's what the law of state responsibility addresses. Yeah, there is no treaty that governs that area of law, right? Mm. So there's no treaty on the law on state responsibility. So what mm. the commission was tasked to do, the commission was tasked to codify the custom international law rules relating to state responsibility. Remember now, there are different sources of international law. So you've got treaty rules. They are the clearest because you can see them, you can read them. Mm. I mean, you still have to interpret them, but at least you can see them. And then we have custom international law. Mm. And custom international law is, is everywhere, Right. So it takes. This is of
0: norms and standards is yeah. problematic
1: for me. So the function, right. Now, the function of the commission then is to try to pull it from everywhere and to put it in a place where everybody can see it. Mm. And what the commission is sed- essentially is doing is it's saying we have looked at the practice of states in its various forms, and we have come to the conclusion that even though there isn't a treaty, the law on state responsibility is as follows. Mm-hmm. That instrument, so the articles on state responsibility, is the commission saying, we are saying under custom international law, here are the consequences for breaches of international obligations. That instrument itself is not binding, right? So the paper, the writing mm-hmm. is not binding. Mm. But what the commission is saying is that the content is binding, not as a treaty, not because of the instrument, but because of the custom international law rules. Mm. Um, there's been a move within the General Assembly to try to get these articles on state responsibility to be transformed into a treaty so that there isn't any arguments about whether they're binding or not, Mm. right? To sort of say, so so right now what we say is we say they're not binding, but they are reflective of the rules, um, which, which is problematic because now it means that some people will say, well, some parts of the Articles on State Responsibility are binding, other parts are not binding. Mm. So which parts are binding is ultimately then in the eye of the beholder. So it makes sense for states to say, let's sort of end that debate by creating a treaty, um, which would then be binding
0: um, mm. um, for, for all states that, at mm. least for all states that ratified and joined. And, and creating a treaty is not a thing that you will do in one meeting.
1: No, I mean it takes a long time. But but if you think about it, the articles on state responsibility were adopted over a very long period of time. I think the work on um the work on the law on state responsibility began in the sixties and it was only concluded in two thousand. Hmm. Right. So it's a project that spanned about forty years or more. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean I, I think it's 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 worth it. And here the work has been done for the states. It's just a question of sort of tweaking. Think about um, treaties like the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties. We spoke about the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations. All of those treaties are based on the work of the Commission. So the ILC first drafted articles, Mm. put them to the General Assembly, and the General Assembly basically tweaked and then adopted Mm. them as a treaty. So that's basically the argument for what should happen with uh, the Articles on State Responsibility.
0: (laughs) It's it, 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 this terrain of uh, international law uh, because there's a lot of talks about standards and norms and the issue of of binding and non-binding, you know, treaties. And it, 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 it's 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 for us it's always things that a, it, when you're practicing IR and trying to understand how international relations works, you it buffers your mind to say we should be moving in in one direction. There's the issue of a responsibility to. To protect, and it's some say it's a doctrine, you know, and some say no, it's something that I think it should really be something that um, should be legally binding. When a state is unable, unwilling, and un- incapable mm. of, then you know. One which is surely have been elements of interference, but then there's a lot of um, you know states have they, they are guaranteed the non interference also mm. with, within their, their borders. Look at the situation in Ukraine right now. People say no, the United Nations sh- should do more. Should do more. It should basically should have done more to actually address the issues even before they happen because yeah. also you have the mechanism.
1: Yeah. So I mean, the the um, responsibility to protect doctrine. That's also what I call it. <laughs> it's more of a framework in a sense. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I have a lot of students that, that write uh, PhDs, mm. uh, master's, dissertations on it. Yeah. Uh, how I see it is I see it as a concept that explains legal rules, mm. but it in itself doesn't create legal rules. And I'll give you, so, so if you break it up into its, it, into its three pillars. Mm. Um, so the first pillar, estate state. Has a responsibility to protect its uh, 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 population. I, mean, I think that goes without saying. That's mm. that's part and parcel of sovereignty. I don't think anybody would would question uh, that as a legal rule that a state h- has a responsibility um, to protect its population. Uh, if you think about the 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 the, um, the legal. Concept of diplomatic Mm. protection—it's—it's born from this idea of responsibility that you, as a state, have a responsibility towards your population. So, that's not contested. The second um so pillar, um, where a state is unable to protect, there's an obligation or there's a responsibility on the international community to assist. Mm. That's just cooperation, right? That's just the rules of cooperation. There's nothing special about that. Mm. Um, we have to. The more contentious one is the third pillar, mm. right? Um, that where a state is unwilling, right, mm. to protect, and in fact, where a state itself is harming its population, there is a responsibility on the international community to um, to intervene. Um, when when R2P was first muted, the question is, what does this third pillar mean? Mm. Does it mean there's a response that that any state can intervene? Um, the final UN document, uh, the outcomes um, uh, document to clarify this, made it clear that in fact by intervention, what we're talking about is we're talking about intervention within the context and framework of the UN Charter. Mm. So which means that the legal rule is not the third pillar. The legal rule is whatever you find in the UN Charter. And the UN Charter says that, the international community intervenes when the Security Council so determines. That's the legal rule. So
0: the Security Council so determines. Right. So
1: there has to be a Security Council authorization for intervention. Otherwise, you are operating outside of the context Mm. of the UN Charter. Mm. And if you're operating outside of the context of the UN Charter, then you're operating outside of the context of R2P as it is conceptualized. So that's how I see it. R2P itself is not a legal rule, but it's a way to explain and to put into context legal rules that
0: already exists. Mm. A situation where another state invade another like what what I've seen in Iraq, what I've seen in you know um, now right now in 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 Ukraine. Where do, where does international law comes in there? I mean international law is not is not silent on these things. International
1: law of course speaks volumes on these things. Mm-hmm. Um there is no question that uh, <clears throat> in, in is it the
0: a failure then of international law enforcement that
1: yeah i mean it's yes of course it's a failure not of international law it's a failure of enforcement yeah. uh, i mean international law is clear that there there are breaches, but um remember also that enforcement can happen um, so later right so so what we have mm-hmm. seen with respect to russia uh although I must confess i'm not sure that. All of the responses are legal, but there have been measures that have been adopted, right? And there have been measures that have adopted purportedly in response to the unlawfulness of the Mm. acts. And so in a sense, one can say uh, what we are seeing is we are seeing international law enforcement in action. Now, enforcement doesn't always lead to cessation of, at least doesn't always lead to immediate cessation. Um, um, So, you know, I always talk, I know... um, Undergraduate students often say to me, Ah, but this international law doesn't work. Look at what Russia is doing in Ukraine. And my response is, How many times have you driven past a red light and not been arrested because you haven't been seen? Or how many times have you sped? So the, the mere fact that, that, um, that there are incidents of breaches of law mm. for which we do not see immediate action. Mm. Does not mean that the law doesn't work, right? It just—it might mean that the law hasn't worked in that particular instance. Mm. It might mean that the law it's hasn't worked yet in that particular instance. But that also happens in domestic law, right?
0: Mm. Um, I mean, also. Oh, it doesn't mean. Sorry, Prof. It doesn't mean that the when international law is a. Uh, applicable or apply doesn't mean immediate cessation. I think you mentioned exactly, that exactly. That right, it's, it would might be a process that international yeah. law allows for those processes yeah. to take place, pro- for instance, sanctions. Yeah, the one
1: so about you, so, so about Russia and Ukraine. I mean, the one thing that I, I wonder you hear in the discussions um, the possibility of some peace deal. If you have a peace deal in which Russia gets to keep some of the territory that it that it. Uh, occupied, mm. that would be a real challenge to international law. I mean, if if something like that is endorsed by, by the General Assembly, for example, mm. that would be a real challenge to international law because it would suggest that, that there is a reward for breach of international law, and and so we'll have to wait and see if that mm. that happens.
0: Well, that's true. Let's talk about you now, Martin. I'm, I'm I'm thinking that um, have you had instances where you you have vehemently disagree with South African positions on international is vehemently
1: issues? is a strong word. No, uh, I haven't had, a, I mean, I've had situations where I've disagreed. Um, okay. In fact, there's um, the old, uh, so the old magazine, I can't remember what the, the old magazine used to, uh, the dip, is it called The Diplomat? The Diplomat. Right. Mm-hmm. I had an article that I wrote in The Diplomat. Uh, I remember my old boss said to me, you're going to get yourself fired. <laughs> in which I I, I very strongly, criti- it was in, the two, was in 2009, mm-hmm. I very strongly criticized South Africa's engagement in the African Union and the fact that We seem to be, even as a so-called powerful state, we seem to be pulled by the nose by the states from the north. Uh, And I was very, very critical. Um, Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I've done it, but not vehement in the sense that, I mean, by vehement, it would be if I thought that we had adopted a position um, that was unethical, that was immoral. Okay, okay. But yeah, where I thought strategically we're doing the wrong
0: thing. Where mm. I mean, that happens. I think that happens to everyone. Yeah. But it's not vehement. So mm. it's not. Case in point, um, withdrawal from the international um, criminal court. Yeah, I didn't.
1: Yeah, I didn't. So I didn't agree with that. Although I, I must confess, I I had been part of the processes because obviously I was advisor to the minister. Mm. Uh, um, but it, I thought. So I understood the position of the government. I mean, Mm, I I understood the position of the government, but I thought there were different ways to handle it. And in fact, I thought uh, the point that many of us try to make, look, there were many advisors on that issue. Mm. And very often the advisors disagreed, except with that one question. It was interesting on that one question of the withdrawal, Mm. every advisor from different places, from here, from the Department of Justice, external counsel, everybody said, well, there's a different way in which you can handle the problem. Mm. there is a problem absolutely yeah. but there's a different way that you can handle it um, I mean I can remember we had a meeting here and and I thought that we had reached some kind of understanding and I went and I got on a plane went to New York when I landed in New York <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it's, uh, I met at the airport by advocate Joini and he says to me but bro, what have you done? I said, what, what are you talking about? He says, we received this thing that we must put in the note. I said, no, no, that, that's 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 not the decision that we take. The decision was different. He said, well, here's a note, exp- yeah, and uh, and of course I had to now walk through the halls of the UN explaining to all of those Europeans about this decision. So, yeah, it was not it was not. Um, okay. I don't think it was our finest hours. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't vehement because I, you know, I I think that a state has a right to withdraw. I, I, mm. I you know, but I thought that it's not. It's not strategically the best decision, um, especially given everything that was happening under that administration at the time. Um, mm. You know, one of the things that that I had constantly been saying is that under this administration, if you go to court, the only way you win is if there's no other possible, this is, you know, you, you so you so don't put yourself in a position where. You're going to court on a case that's that's
0: iffy. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, there has to be has to be that anybody who looks at this will agree with the government. That's the only way that mm-hmm. you can win. So don't don't. You know, it's just that was just the nature of the the environment
0: at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're at a very, I mean, at that time you were a very particular position where you look at South Africa's foreign policy objective and also what is necessary in terms of international law as well, the responsibilities mm-hmm. as well. I think quite a, an important position to to stay. In. For you personally, what has been the reward um, throughout the journey in terms of your involvement in international law? We'll talk about the the commission as, as we conclude. In terms of has it been a rewarding experience? You know, having traveled into the state law advising office, yeah. you know, foreign affairs, having to 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 to, to supervise a number of PhD yeah. students. Personally, what's what sort of what does it do to you in terms yeah. of you personally?
1: I mean, it's been a. I've had a. I I've been blessed. I, yeah I've really been it's been a very rewarding journey for me um i look at so many things and i think i had my hand in that yeah, i had my hand yeah, in that yeah, uh, yeah. you know our continental shelf project which is probably i think the big you know it doesn't get as much Which project? the continental shelf project you okay. know the project to extend our our land ter- our land territory beneath the ocean um, oh, that's okay. the easiest way to put it yeah uh you know i was the um, uh, the leader of that project from from Durco, mm. um, uh, various treaties that have been adopted. You know, when you think that I negotiated this this language is because of something I said, that's rewarding. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think the, the the biggest reward is just knowing that 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 you you've contributed to your government right mm. you've, you've mm. helped your government you've helped your people in a sense yeah um, um that's been that's been the greatest reward it's nice to travel um i mean traveling is 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 for me actually the beauty about traveling for me is is that um the places that you see um, mm. they, st- they 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 st- so they stick in your mind i don't take pictures i i i you know i want places to stay in my mind that i can ah. remember them and that yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so everything is, is, is a joy. Everything is a joy. It's it it's, it's been a wonderful ride. And I hope, I mean, I shouldn't say it's been a wonderful ride because hopefully the ride is continuing.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. <laughs> <will> be, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you are still here. Be. In the corridors, everyone is stopping you to, to, to yeah. ask you one or two two things. Yeah, and that's nice. And mm. that's nice. It yeah. You, you are a chair of, of the International Law Commission right right, right now. Um, normally, when someone is chair, we are thinking you are setting up the agenda. You are responsible for the agenda in terms of the positioning, the you know how the the process will go will unfold. You know the secretariat. You know you, you you do have the assistance obviously from the office. Mandate you as chair, chair right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the chair is basically to take care of the day-to-day running of the commission. So yeah. um, this year is the last year of this quinquennium. So there are mm. many many topics that we need to conclude. Yeah. Which means there's competition for time. Yeah. So one of the things is um, there are different special rapporteurs who lead, and they're constantly competing for time. My function is to try to make sure that the commission is able to do everything that it can do, while also addressing the ego issues that arise, you know, so when special rapporteurs compete for time. So that's one example. Mm. Um, uh, another example of things that I have to do is interface with the Swiss government. Um, uh, we normally have a very good relationship uh, so with the Swiss government, but this year a couple of things have happened, so we've mm. had some. Is the incoming?
0: The Swiss government. N- oh, you mean the 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 the, the host country? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: uh, in terms of sort of how our members, you know, are treated uh, and ah, so on. So, okay. so that interface has to happen. Um, um, my responsibility is also at the end. My final final responsibility is going to be. To take the report of the commission and to go and to present it to the General Assembly in October, okay. um, which I will happily do. Um, uh, you know, that will probably be my not probably that will be my last task as the as the chair of the commission. So, so yeah, to, yeah, there are all these things, but mainly it's just to make sure that the commission functions uh, okay. and obviously to chair the meetings of the commission. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there, as we conclude, Prof, is there one law item you thinking? in international affairs, we have to have this kind of... You know, I know I'm putting on a spot in terms of I see there's a gap here. It might not be directly linked to your to your work, but in terms of your, your observation or in terms of how yeah. um, international relations is structured.
1: I mean, uh, yeah, I think the main thing, um, if I could... So one way to answer your question is, is there anything that I would change in the international law system? That's, um, that's it. If there's one thing that I would change in the international law system is I would make... Uh, it obligatory for states to, or rather I would give the International Court of Justice uh, compulsory jurisdiction over every dispute. Uh, the main problem, and it goes to your question about enforcement. Um, mm. So Russia is not saying that they breach, they're not accepting that they breach international law. Mm-hmm. What you need is you need in cases like this to be able to say to these two states, go to the ICJ, let the ICJ decide. That's, yeah. But now, the ICJ will only have a jurisdiction if states have accepted jurisdiction. So the result of that is that you to, to take Russia to the ICJ, you need to do some gymnastics about some or other instrument that's not really relevant. So, mm. Um, mm. so for example, at the moment, um, the, there is this matter of Russia-Ukraine is before the ICJ, but it's before the ICJ in respect not of the use of force, Mm-mm. but in respect of genocide. It's not... the this is the core of... It's not the core issue. Yeah. right? So the, the court might be able to indirectly address the issue of the use of force, but that's not the core issue. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the one thing I would change. I think it would solve a lot of the issues where states just simply do what we call auto-interpretation and say, we have interpreted the law, and according to our interpretation, we are in the right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the end of the... I mean, you can imagine if you and I have a contract, and I breach the contract, and you say, I'm going to take you to court, and I say, I don't want to go to court. Yeah. It's, I, you have to say, please, let's go to court. No. And if I say no, that's the end of the matter. The that's, that's, the the, that's the problem with the international law system. And I think if, if I could change one thing, it would be that.
0: Oh, that's quite important. Prof. let me thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's really a pleasure. And all the best on your chair. When do you conclude? Which month do you conclude?
1: So we will meet again uh, in July. Yeah. And we will finish our session uh, on the 10th of August, I think. Yeah, on the 10th of August. All right.